Hello, and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we, year by year, explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I am your host, Rod, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jess. And uh, can you tell us, how are we uh, related? Um, uh, so you, to speak. you live in my apartment. Uh-huh. You are my forever roommate. Uh-huh. I can't get rid of you no matter what. Uh-huh. In, uh, in English, what does that translate to? <laughs> you are my future husband. No, no, no. You're my current husband. Current husband, yes. <laughs> We're married. We're a married couple. And uh, this is episode one of Media Made, our first ever episode. Yeah. No other episodes have been recorded. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, so to give everybody a back, like the, basically the basic rundown of what this show is, um, when we were getting married, we did this weird couples experiment where, um, we went year by year and determined which movie, which TV show, and which music album each of us had listened to the most or watched the most from each year. Uh, we went through them all. We chose the one we'd seen the most. We went through a list of them all. We didn't listen to everything that came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went through a list of them all. We we determined which one it was that we consumed the most, and then we watched it together, listened to it together. as like a couple's learning experience. Um, we had a lot of fun doing it, so now we're turning into a show, you know? Yeah. So we are. We started our journey in uh, the, year the, the year of our Lord, 1985. Um... <laughs> I would say it was a random year because I had proposed this as a, a thing that we should do. And I was like, we should just pick a random year. And you picked this year, which when we started, I realized why you picked the year. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to why we chose 1985 specifically. Um, but when we first started, we suggested maybe doing uh, the year we were born or the year, mm -hmm. you know, uh, one of us was born. And I said, no, no, no. I want to do at least a little bit of the 80s because I felt like our childhood, even though we didn't necessarily grow up in peak 80s, our childhoods were... Um, built on the backs of what the 80s. That's true. And been. I was born in the 80s, so. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> I was born in the 80s. Um, <laughs> so essentially it's like, you know, there there's like, a, there's plenty of 80s stuff that I consumed even as a kid, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, we had to get the 80s now. I love the 80s. That's true. <laughs> there definitely were some down times. I, I agree, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of them. <laughs> until, until we did this experiment. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here we are, 1985. We're going to look at the movies of 1985. The movie, the movie from 1985 that I've seen the most, and the movie of 1985 that Jess has seen the most. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start with your movie. Okay. Yeah. So. Because it was the better movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. When we watch, you know, when we finish each show, we'll we'll try to decide who it was that won each show. You know, who won the movies, who won the music, who won the TV, and then who won the year. And exactly. it's always me, correct, husband? No. Excuse you. <laughs> so tell us, what was your movie of 1985? It was Better Off Dead. Hello, Lane. How was your day? Beth broke up with me. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> We're through. That's it. That's nice. <laughs> Released August 23rd, 1985, starring John Cusack, Diane Franklin, Amanda Weiss and Curtis Armstrong, written and directed by Savage Steve Holland. <laughs> we have Better Off Dead. Uh, so tell us, what, what is this movie about? You got, you got to give us like the, the basic rundown. Okay. <laughs> I, basic, quote unquote. So this movie is basically uh, about a young boy. Named uh, Lane. Named Lane. I don't know. Lane Meyer. Lane Meyer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
now the Oscar Wire thing. Makes sense. Oh yeah, Oscar Meyer. <laughs> yeah. He, he he gets made fun of by by like jocks who call him uh, Oscar Meyer. <laughs> but um, we follow young Lane Meyer um, as he has just been broken up with by his girlfriend of six months. Is that is that how long they've been dating? Yes. Over some like they met on over summer break and uh, and they were going real strong and yeah. he loved her in an obsessive way. I obsessed, you say. What is Lane doing up at this hour on a Sunday? Doesn't he turn to dust or something if the sun hits him before noon? Oh, it's tryouts for the high school ski team. He's going up to Mount Brody with Beth. Oh, sure he's going up with Beth. He can't do anything without that girl. I tell you, Jenny, that boy is obsessed. Jump cut to uh, him holding a framed picture of her uh, in his room. And he has framed pictures of her everywhere everywhere and that's not even where it ends we'll talk about the weirdness but that is at the core of this the core of this movie is the boy was broken up with by a girl he he loves very very much very very much and you would think that means the movie is about him trying to get the girl back sort of (laughs) (laughs) maybe for two scenes but mostly it's about the spiral of depression after losing your girlfriend. Yep. Uh, he, it's called Better Off Dead because he attempts suicide several times throughout the movie. <laughs> I would like to say this is a dark comedy. Yes, it, it is a dark comedy. None of it is. When you watch it, it is not serious. It, it, it's, it seems pretty serious That's sometimes. Yeah. But, it, but it's also very funny. It's a very cartoonish movie. Yes, actually, it's very cartoonish. Um. You gotta tell us, how did you discover this movie, and why have you seen it so much? Um, I actually didn't see this movie until I was in college, my second year of college. Um, I had a roommate whom introduced me to a lot of cult classics, I suppose, that I hadn't watched myself. Yeah, I was gonna say, if you need a definition of cult classic, it's this movie. Is it? It was not popular when it came out. Mm. No one went to see it, and then... I assume people picked it up on VHS tape and rented it from, you know, the movie store. And, uh... It was a bang. Yep, the rest is history. Yeah. It's it's free on YouTube. Like, just, the whole movie's just been uploaded on YouTube for free <laughs> by some rando. <laughs> just like, take yeah. it. Watch it. It's great. It, it's pretty good. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of things that we watch that aren't great, but this is great. Um, this was also a movie that you hadn't seen before. I know. Hadn't even heard of? Never heard of it. Yeah. Um, I don't think, like, other than, uh... Than Con Air, I hadn't seen a John Cusack movie ever. Mm, I had never seen Con Air before you. <laughs> no, you know, Con Air's better than this. John Cusack's in Con Air. Is he not? Yeah, he is. He's the he's like a, the the agent that is oh, on the hunt for him. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, you're he's... right. I've only seen that movie once. Whereas this movie, I've seen three to four times. So, like, and, and the real question is, why did this? Mo- why did you see this movie so many times, even after only discovering it in college? Compared to the other movies released in 1985. Because I lived with April. <laughs> Did you watch it that many times while living with her? Yes, she really enjoyed it, honestly. Um, but also, afterwards, I was like, no, I actually like this movie. And I don't like like movies. You own it. I own it. Yeah. And I don't own very many movies. So, um, I don't know. I just, it was fun. It's like one of those things you pop on when you're just kind of like, I have nothing to do. Um, I'll let this play in the background and not pay attention, but then you end up paying attention to it because it's just so crazy. Yeah. Um, because what I was getting at is you rarely rewatch movies. I rarely rewatch movies. Like, as we go through these lists year by year, uh, you're like, I've seen the movie once. I've seen that movie once. I've seen that movie once. So you end up, we end up picking the movie you've seen twice just by, (laughs) by happenstance. 
Um, but this movie you've seen several times. Yeah. And I think part of it is also because I like to show people it. Like, oh, have you ever seen this movie? It's actually just not what you expect at all. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, what's what's the big John Cusack movie from the 80s? The one where he holds the, the, uh, radio the boombox up? up? Say yeah. something. Oh, that's the name of a song. <laughs> say something. I'm giving up on say, you. Say anything? Say anything. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I think of when I think of John Cusack teen comedy. I've never seen that movie. <laughs> I haven't either. I just the, the image of him holding the boombox mm. up is is it, you know? Yeah. Uh, when it's like, this is like barely a romantic comedy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very dark comedy about yeah. suicide and depression and uh, drug use and... Uh, <laughs> Weird relationship. It was, it's just a lot. Yeah. yeah. It hits a lot of stuff. It, it's so outlandish that you think like, who is the man who made this movie? <laughs> well, I've got the answer to that. Tell me. Let me give you a little, let me give you uh, a breakdown of S- Savage Steve Holland. That is his, his stage name or his, uh, his industry name. He's Savage, like Randy Savage. <laughs> um, okay. After studying from CalArts, which is like the big, uh, like animation like a lot of big animators, especially around this time period, eighties and nineties, mm. they all went to CalArts. Um, it's it was the style at the time. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, so after studying there, he found work as an animator before transitioning into film. He had had a few animating gigs before making this movie, which was his feature debut. Um, before that, he he was most recognizable for his contributions to the game show Press Your Luck. Okay. Had you ever seen Press Your Luck? No. <laughs> I have seen tons of Press Your Luck from the freaking 70s because we had the game show network <laughs> on cable and I watched so much old game show footage. Why? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, game shows are fun to watch, I guess, but something about like the... I, I've seen like this and Let's Make a Deal and Hollywood Squares and The uh. Dating Game and all these crappy <laughs> shows from the Reality 70s. TV before it was... Yeah, yeah. Anyway... <laughs> Press your luck. How it worked is you answer trivia questions, and if you if you win the round, you get to spin like this like roulette wheel, right? And it would like light up lights and go do 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 do. It is, uh, you know, there was like you can win uh, five hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or win a, a new car. <laughs> <laughs> but the lose scenario was something called a whammy. It was mm. like these little red, uh, almost like Noid, like the 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 Pizza Hut Noid. <laughs> I don't know. Like they're like these little red gremlins. Okay. Um, and if you hit a whammy, you lose all your money, or you get like a strike, and you can't proceed to spin the wheel. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they personified the whammy as these little creatures, and Savage Steve Holland animated all of the whammy sequences. So you would let me let me play a clip and explain how how it worked. Big bucks, no whammy, stop. Stop it, oh. Got whammy. And then this little whammy would run across the screen, like you know. He, this in in this clip I've got he, the whammy is uh, being pulled by a dog on a leash, like a big dog is pulling him. And he's just like, wah, wah, wah. I don't know. It's just like these little comic characters that would. Uh, it, it was always a different type of whammy. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like opera singer whammies or whammies in cars. He animated all these little creatures, so that's his thing. He's a cartoon animator. And he made this live-action movie, which is a live-action cartoon. Yeah. With a lot of animation in it. Yeah, yeah, actually. The the opening sequence is an animation. Um, There's a scene where Lane just draws his (laughs) ex-girlfriend in a a troll. Yeah, which is her new boyfriend. Yeah, and he eats... I can't remember. Does the troll eat her or something? 
I can't remember. The troll eats someone, or the troll. He has a conversation with the cartoon version of his ex girlfriend that he's drawn. Yeah, it's like just a full animated sequence. Yeah, where Uh, she's just like, "You're pathetic, Lane." Yeah, "Uh, you're not wrong. (laughs) So he, I I went and did some research into this movie because I wanted to know, like, one, there's not a lot of uh, scholarship (laughs) editorials about the making of this movie, Mm -hmm. but they've done some interviews, and I was surprised to learn a few things about it. So in the early 80s, Holland released a short film, uh, I think while in college, called My 11-Year-Old Birthday Party, uh, and that played at the Los Angeles Film Festival. Okay? Oh, wow. Um, who would spot that at the film festival but Henry Winkler, Ooh. the Fonz. <laughs> oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he, you know, he was a big star, um, and he spotted it, and he liked it. Mm-hmm. So he started talking to Holland, and he said, uh, this is a quote from Henry Winkler. Or no, no, sorry, this is a quote from Holland. Henry took me to lunch, and he said that my movie was so funny. Um, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. It, was supposed to, it wasn't supposed to be funny. It's a sad story about my life. <laughs> so he asked if I had any more sad stories about my life, and I'm like, of course I do. <laughs> so he turned sad stories about his life into this movie, which is a comedy. It I was, mean, oh, wow. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. So not only is this movie ultra cartoonish, it's also a series of vignettes. Mm-hmm, it's like true. little tiny scenes that are just like silly, you know, tiny, uh, <laughs> what, are you, what is that face you're making? I'm reevaluating <laughs> this whole movie. I'm reevaluating $2. I'm reevaluating Racing Guy. I'm reevaluating, like if those things yes. happened in a like less cartoonish way, I want to have lived this guy's life. I'll, I'll point out the verifiable <laughs> real life events okay, from okay. the movie um because there's a lot of outlandish stuff yeah and i kind of want to look at it character by character because it seems like every character has its own little like mini scene yeah and yeah, they're yeah. all these like rant like they're cartoon characters and they're memorable anyway so the the main premise um lane dealing with the breakup of his girlfriend was based on true life mm. savage steve holland wrote the script based on his high school girlfriend who did indeed leave him at for the captain of the ski team <laughs> He really did attempt to hang himself in the garage, oh, and his no. mom really did come in to oh, thwart it. No. Yes. Oh no! Thwart it. Yeah. Okay. Not like yeah. It was very outlandish. And uh, I was reading but... the quote. It's apparently like she came in and scolded him for breaking something because he. Oh, what he done was oh. he he hung himself with an extension cord hanging from a pipe in the garage. The pipe broke, broke. and got water everywhere, and she got mad at him. Well. Yeah. Uh, a similar scene happens in the movie. Instead, Lane. Uh, decides he's not going to hang himself. He said, he's like, this is a dumb idea. What am I doing? I have so much to look for. And then his mom... Bumps into the door. And opens it, making him fall off the stairs, so he ends up hanging, hanging for a little yeah. while. And then, and then the scene cuts and jumps to something else, because it's a cartoon. Yes. Well, you see him make it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's okay. And I think still something breaks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, so... What I, I think the the best way to like lay out this movie is to take it character by character. We've talked about Lane. We've, we've talked a bit about Beth. Ooh. Oh, let, let me play that clip here, how, how this works. We've been seeing an awful lot of each other lately, and I really think it's in my best interest if I went out with someone more popular. <laughs> Better looking, drives a nicer car. Yep. <laughs> and she oh, le- Beth. Yeah, she leaves him for Roy Stalin. Leader of the ski team. That's true. And uh, he, he is a, he's played by a grown man, it seems. <laughs> yeah. Buenos dias, Roy Stalin. How you doing? 
Bola, Lane Meyer. I can see you and I share uh, one common desire. <laughs> Look straight at Beth. The desire to be a part of the well-oiled machinery that is the Greendale High School ski racing team. <clears throat> Gross. Yep. But she's into it. Yeah, she is. You wanted to talk about more Char- characters? Characters, yeah. Let's, let's lay them out. All right. So uh, we definitely have Stalin. Yep. <laughs> Who for a while we were like Stalin? Wait, are they just recalling him Stalin? Oh wait, no, his, his, name. his last name is legit Stalin. His, his last name is Stalin. Cold War is still going on, you see. <laughs> <laughs> They're on a cold mountain. Uh, <laughs> um, so he's you know your typical high school jerkwad, yep, kind of thing. Yeah, you see um, Lane flying, trying to get onto the ski team and he purposely like doesn't yeah, after count Be- his time after Beth breaks up with him uh, Lane thinks the only way to win her back is to challenge Stalin to a race down like the most precarious ski slope on the mountain yeah they call it the K-12 yes and that and that's like you know in in standard eighties teen fashion like you know the whole like the, the 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 climax is like the big game or the big event you know so it's the big race so Lane has to get ready for the big race to, to win his girl back. But of course, this is not your standard comedy. It's a little different. There's yeah. some twists along the way. Yeah, because we don't even actually get that like challenge until like the last yeah. third. <laughs> yeah, like 40 minutes. You have like four, less than 40 minutes left in the movie before that becomes the, uh, the conflict. Yeah. From there, it's just random weird scenes yeah. with these weird people. Other weird people. Let's talk about um, the household with yes. which Lane lives in. Yes. He, he's got his mom, his dad, and his little brother. Who do you he, want to tackle first? We'll tackle the norm, the last one. The dad, who's the most normal. Yeah. Let's talk about the one who has no lines. The little brother. <laughs> so, St- Lane, his little brother, is essentially a, 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 little, like, a little boy, like, what, 10 years old? Right, yeah. maybe even eight. I don't know. He, he's mute. He has no lines, but he is essentially a ten-year-old like Hugh Hefner. Yes, <laughs> um, mixed with freaking Rocket Boy. Who said? Who's now uh, the guy who builds? Uh, Elon Musk. Musk. <laughs> he's a a, a musky Hefner. Yeah, yeah. He's he's little Elon Musk, little Hugh Hefner. Even though no one knew who Elon Musk was in uh, 1985. Bad. He has no lines, and, like, he's just doing random weird things throughout the movie, Mm. right? It starts out, he, uh, the little brother is clipping, like, the coupons out of cereal boxes to to mail order, like, things. Yeah. And, like, mysterious things. You don't know what they are. Like, Lane walks in his room, he's got a ray gun that works. (laughs) And he shoots Lane through the door, and it, like, explodes a little bit and sets a fire. Yeah. You know, so he's always got these weird projects that he's working on that he's you know getting things mailed into him but uh the one that i appreciate the most is i badger your book on how to pick up trashy women came today gosh trashy tell me something what's a little boy like you doing with big boy smut like this (laughs) so yeah he he gets in the mail a magazine called how to pick up trashy women (laughs) and we had watched it i was like does he actually pick up trashy women (laughs) <laughs> yes, he does. Not just one, but like five of them. Yeah. Lane walks in the room and he's like in there and it, like he's in a smoky bedroom wearing like a leather print robe with like a bunch of like, you know, big haired 80s women with, you know, very little clothing on. Yeah. <laughs> we just, yeah. 
Yeah, little yeah. badger, little. It's it's really interesting because he really has no lines, but he's kind of really evocative and in, in not evocative, like emotive, emotive, and yeah. you're just kind of like, I don't want to mess with this. this yeah, small this boy. is a grown man in a little boy's body. <laughs> I'm terrified. This is what like if Stewie Griffin grew up and was able to like opposable thumbs and hold his head up. Like this yeah. is a scary child. He, he's not quite as a. Uh hyperactive as Stewie Griffin, but he's 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 more suave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's putting the moves on these women. <laughs> he's he's intelligent. He's building a rocket ship. <laughs> he does build a rocket ship. Yep. Uh, who else we got? Who else in the family? Um we've got Mother Dearest. Yes. What is that? It's bacon. I know it's bacon. What have you done to it? <laughs> you said you didn't like all the grease from fried bacon. So I boiled it. And it's disgusting and blue. <laughs> it's blue and floppy and soupy. Ugh. Yeah, so it's like, mom has a few character traits. One is she can't cook. Um, mm-hmm. That's based on real life. Um, apparently, Savage Steve Holland, uh, his mom was known for his her experimentation in the kitchen. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, there's a scene in the movie where they're, they're all eating at the breakfast table and mom's cooking in the kitchen. She's got a pot with tentacles coming out of it. <laughs> like an octopus. Just like, ah! Yeah. Oh man. And like she she like lays down a, a dish for Lane to eat and it looks like gross slop and then it like actually just crawls, crawls away yeah. off the plate. Yeah. So there's just like a bunch of random it's good. You know? Yeah. It's very cartoony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But And then mom is also oblivious to everything. Yeah. She's very absent minded, uh can't see that her her, her son is depressed. Um she is allows her other son to cut up all the cardboard cereal boxes and there's just cereal falling everywhere. She just... Yeah. And uh, she's... She's sweet, though. She is sweet. Um, Here's a secret. This movie is a Christmas movie. I always forget until I don't. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the movie... About a few scenes in, they celebrate Christmas together. Um, And Mom buys them all these very strange (laughs) gifts. What does she buy Lane? She buys him... uh, Box dinners. TV dinners. TV dinners. Yes. Uh, that's based on real life. Oh. Steve Holland's mom bought him TV dinners for Christmas. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. I know what I'm getting you. No. <laughs> I will never eat them. Um, and she buys the husband a, like, a fursuit? Yeah, it's like it. Um, it's like a onesie. It's an aardvark onesie made from real aardvark hair. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> And uh, she says, it's all deranged. <laughs> and then they go outside and their neighbor's wearing one. <laughs> yep, it is indeed all deranged. Yeah, uh, you know, so maybe this movie awoke some uh, some furries. Yeah, that's what we were saying. <laughs> we're like, yeah, yeah, this is waking something in someone somewhere. Yeah, and then you got Dad, who's just very straight. Like, he's he's sort of like the, the, the hovering 80s dad. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's always suspicious of Lane's activities, but uh, he's pretty harmless. yeah. He hates when his uh, his garage door is broken. Yes, which fair. Yeah, um, you know, and he hates that. Lane, like Lane has a has an old uh, Camaro out in the front yard that is out of commission, and he's upset with Lane at all the time to- at all times because Lane refuses to fix it mm-hmm. or know how to fix it. So it's yeah. just like this hunk of junk sitting in his in his driveway, and like any dad would, he he's upset by it. Yeah, but I would say he's like. Mm. I was gonna say the best of '80s dads that we we saw, but eh. no. he's like unobtrusive. Yeah, he's but be- he's also present. He's more present than like a, a lot yeah. of. The, he's like, better than the other '80s dad that we'll look at in this episode. <laughs> if 
fine. <laughs> You're as, not a, wrong. as a dad. Yes, yes. We'll yes, get yes. there. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So that's that's the household that Lane lives in. Yes. Let's talk about some of the other colorful characters that exist outside of that. The neighbors. <laughs> who, who, who's... Who? Oh, man. Yeah, describe some neighbors. All right. We've got a uh, neighbor who is a single mom raising her teenage son, and they have uh, invited a foreign exchange student to stay with them from, from France. France. Yep. Monique, this is Ricky. Ricky, this is Monique, the French foreign exchange student who'll be staying with us. And Ricky's like this overweight nerdy dude who uh, constantly needs to spray his nose with gross like nasal spray clear it <laughs> yep um and ricky and his mom are uh terrifying human beings yes and this poor like pretty little french girl is you know constantly on uh on the defense with these two because mom is trying to pair his or pair her nerdy overweight son with this French, ex, you know, exchange student who doesn't speak for most of the movie um, and is just sitting there like as if she doesn't understand what they're saying to her. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very um, awkward. Yes. <laughs> A lot of the times you're sitting there and you're just like, please stop, please stop. No, actually, no more please, just stop. Yeah. Like, it's very uncomfortable some of the situations that she's put in in that household. But, um adds to the comedy so continue uh we talked about ricky and his mom we've talked about monique we'll talk about her later who mm-hmm. else we got in the neighborhood um i don't know if he lives in the neighborhood but uh his friend <laughs> oh okay yeah so uh lane's best friend is a boy named charles he's played by he's played by curtis armstrong yeah uh who's booger from uh, revenge of the nerds or uh metronon from that's not how you pronounce it from supernatural <laughs> i wouldn't know that i wouldn't know booger <laughs> yeah Anyway, so he's like this weird '80s dude uh, with a with a with a raspy voice, and he's obsessed with drugs, even though there are no drugs to be had in their town. Yeah. So he snorts anything he can get his hands on. Yeah. Charles, oh, hold on, wait a minute, wait one second. I think I'm onto something here. This is pure snow. Literal it's snow. It's everywhere. Have you any idea what the street value of this mountain is, Charles? Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. And he proceeds to snort the snow. <laughs> <laughs> that is also something that gives me like visceral pain like the thought of like so cold my nostrils yeah and he snorts um like pudding in uh, the in the, in the uh the in the cafeteria go into yeah. this boy's nose yeah um but he's very supportive he's a supportive friend he says uh the classic line is uh suicide isn't the answer little trooper <laughs> <laughs> who else we got um we have Moving on to more tertiary characters. And those, <laughs> let me say, the tertiary characters are the best characters. In That's the most true. memorable. That's true. So we're going to leave that one for last, but we're going to talk about the street racing boys. Truly a sight to be hoped. A man beat the once great champ. Now a study in mumpishness. No longer. The victory-hungry stallion we've raced so many times before. So yeah, Lane, whenever he's in his car, he gets, like, challenged to a street race by these two Asian uh, teenagers. And one of one of them doesn't talk. The other one only speaks like a, a, like a sports announcer. Yes. 
and <clears throat> they're they're great. They are great. It's wonderful. It's it's like some of the best. Like you don't you only see them for like four scenes. Yeah. But every time it's just like Yes, the music gets wonderfully tense, as you heard, and they're like putting on racing gloves and like, let's go. It's just fun. Yeah. It's it's what I expect um, the Furious driving movies are like, but I've never seen them. <laughs> you know, and like Lane tries to duck out of racing them a few times <clears throat> until there's a big street race halfway through the movie, which is fun. Yeah. Um, Lane does explain why one of those characters talks that way. Lane Maya. The kid from Greenback. See, here's a good example. Two brothers. One speaks no English. The other learned how to speak English from watching the wide world of sports. So you tell me which is better, speaking no English at all or speaking Howard Cosell. So one of them learned English from the wild world of sports. Um, and I looked it up. The actor who played uh, that character literally watched episodes of Wild World of Sports to get the like the tone of the voice correct so that when he auditioned he would, you know, win the, part, the part, which he did. And then they ended up just dubbing over him anyway. Boo. Yeah, so that sucks. Boo. Like he's still memorable and yes. that voice is funny, but that's not the the actor's voice. Yeah, that's annoying. Yeah. So uh Boo. The choice you made was bad. It's true. But we we do love those Asian voices. <clears throat> we do. Yeah. Who else we got? <clears throat> My favorite neighborhood paperboy. Yes. <laughs> Johnny. Paperboy Johnny. Four weeks. 20 papers. That's $2 plus tip. Oh, gee, Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. Didn't ask for a dime. <laughs> $2. Yes. Johnny the paperboy. The best character in the movie. The Best character in the movie. He shakes up Lane freaking like a, like a mobster, you know, like a thug. <laughs> he's got like a hat, like a little like, you know, uh, a beanie hat on. Like, uh, he's got like motorcycle gloves and he's, and he pulls out like one of those switchblade combs and he's yeah. like, I'm going to, I'll cut you boy. <laughs> Give me my $2. <laughs> and that becomes a running joke in the entire movie. Johnny will show up at the most inopportune time to demand his $2. <laughs> and it becomes like a, a weird uh, 80s slasher scene. Yeah. The whole brigade is in it. $2. So yeah, there's like a thousand paper boys chasing Lane through the, the park at night and they're all demanding $2. Oh man. It's, it's so good. It is so good. And honestly, it's probably one of the things we quote the most in yes. our marriage. We'll just be doing something and be like, I want my two dollars. Or if we see like a little boy on a bike, we just say two dollars. <laughs> yeah, and that, I think that's for the most part all of the weird characters, unless you can think of one. Mm, that's the most part, but we did get a cameo. Who do you got? Tommy Pickles. Oh yes. So um, as all '80s teen movies need, uh, they go to a dance. They go to school dance, and uh, the 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 lead singer of the like band performing at the dance is a, a woman named E.G. Daly. That's her, her stage name, and that is the name of her character in the movie. Uh, we were listening to her sing, and we're like... I was like, who did who is she? It's Tommy Pickles. The voice the voice of Tommy Pickles from the Rugrats. Yep. Uh, it was a singer and a voice actress. Yeah? And she, I guess she performed a bunch of songs in the Scarface soundtrack, which is, which oh. is great, yeah. 
I've never seen Scarface. Uh, the, the music is excellent. Ah. Peak 80s. Peak 80s. Um, yeah, so that was fun to see yeah. that. Um, so, so speak of the dance, because we the, the first half of the movie is a bunch of these random sequences uh mostly like you know he'll he'll run into this weird character he gets a job at a, yeah. at a burger joint and yeah. has like a, a dream sequence where he a uh, burger sings yeah all the burgers come to life in like this crazy claymation sequence yeah. and they sing a van halen song um <laughs> it, it's so it's just like these random little scenes vignettes mm. they they have nothing to do with the main plot but then halfway through the movie they go to the dance and lane meets monique the french exchange student yes and from there, it, it, it kind of funnels into the big race at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Lane and and Monique uh, forge a friendship. She, she <laughs> Monique reveals that she she doesn't spa- she does in fact speak English. Yeah, she's just been hiding it. Hell yeah, something is wrong. This, how you say, dark head. Is an unleashed sex fiend. <laughs> She's talking but about Ricky. He will not leave me alone. He thinks because I stay here, I am his uh, love goddess. He's a uh, prostrate. No, prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so Monique and Lane, they join forces. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Monique helps Lane more than Lane helps Monique, I yeah. guess. I guess the only way that Lane helps Monique is that he gets her away from Ricky and his mom. Yeah, basically, yeah. She, 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 she's like, I will help you do the things that you need to do. I just need an excuse to not be there. Yeah. Monique's too good for Lane. We say. Yeah, far too good <laughs> She's for like Lane. ultra talented. She's, uh, she's fiery. She's intelligent. She's she, got a great right arm. Yeah, she loves the Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> uh. All I want is to come to the States and see Dodger Stadium. Stadium! I noticed you have a pretty good pitching arm. Well, what else is there that is of interest in the sets but uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers? Uh, we had to look up the history of the Dodgers. Apparently, before they were uh, Los Dodgers in Los Angeles, they were uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah. But, but even 1985, they were in freaking Los Angeles. So. Yeah. So we're like, wait, why? <laughs> she's she's being anachronistic because it's funny. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so she's she could she could throw she could throw a good ball. She could uh, fix a car. She's a mechanic. Uh, she. she 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 can even ski better than Lane can. That's true, and she can also handle bullies better. Yeah, or her new boyfriends. Yeah, uh, ex girlfriends, <laughs> new boyfriends. Right. So anyway, Lane and Monique, they decide to team up, get Lane ready for the big race, so that he can challenge Roy Stalin, and the the presumption is win Beth back. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the movie, Lane discovers the true the girl who's there the whole time. Yes. Monique. Monique. <laughs> and it, be, you know, they, it ends with like a, you know, nice uh, stereotypical 80s uh, love theme, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they go to Dodger Stadium, they share a kiss, and it's very beautiful. And then. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then. That's that that clip is from a different scene, but yeah. So that that little boy is still there, hounding him for the two dollars. Um, even at the end, like during the race, oh yeah, Lane is racing Roy down the mountain uh, with one ski, no less. Yeah, yeah. So he he beats Roy in the race with one ski, which is just basically a very skinny ski board, <laughs> a snowboard, snowboard, um, ice sports. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, out pops <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> There's, yeah, 
That's Johnny chasing them down on a bike with skis on it. And uh, Roy knocks him off a cliff. But he's not dead. Don't worry. Yeah, he, uh, he, he he brushes himself off and continues the hunt for two dollars. Drives all the way down yeah. to Dodger Stadium to get them two dollars. Ah uh, man, Ugh. that's really that, that's that's better off dead. Recom- yeah. Recommend from you? Yeah, ten out of ten. Watch it. Watch Reco- it. It's on. It's on YouTube. Go do that now. Yeah, recommend from me. It's great. Yeah. Um. I okay. Before we move on, there are a few things I want to do. Okay. We're gonna go to break here in a second. I want to quiz you. Okay. I want you to tell me. Every time Lane tries to kill himself, in Ugh. what way? We're gonna we're gonna see if you can get them all. Oh no! Okay. Um, we already talked about the one. first one. Is it's the first one hanging? Yes. Okay. So, so the first time he tries to hang himself in the garage, and mom mom bumps into him. Mom and, bumps into him, and, and, and it almost ensures his demise. But yes. he, you know he gets out. The second time he's on a bridge. Yeah, he he, <laughs> he jumps from the bridge. He no. He's about to jump from the bridge, and his good old supporter friend Charles. comes and says, Suicide is not the way, buddy. Taps him on the back. And he falls. <laughs> and he falls. But don't worry, he lands in trash, and we get a great quote. Oh, did you get that quote? Man, now that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. <laughs> <laughs> he lands in a garbage truck and drives, and the, the, the garbage truck like drives by two um, black men who are like trimming a tree. And a cherry picker, and they say that beautiful line. Oh, man. Um, that, that's the trailer line right there. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so that's two. You got two. two. That was three. No. You, you're oh, hanging okay. and jumping over bridge. You're okay, two for then two here. The next one. Yes. The next one was uh, he was trying to asphyxiate, asphyxiate himself in a car. Yep. So he, uh, he sits in the garage with his car running. Yes. Um, and I, I'm saying all ways he gets out of this because it's important. Um, he goes like, what am I doing? And puts the car in reverse and slams out of the garage that the his the, dad the, just fixed. Yep, for Christmas, no less. For Christmas. Imagine that. I'm, I'm going to suffocate myself in my car on Christmas. Oh, it's very sad when you think about the specifics of these scenes, but it's done in a funny way. Yeah. I promise it is. Unless you know you have the trigger warning, I guess we yeah, should have said that at the beginning. This speaking of suicide, this will make a great uh double feature with Heathers. Yeah. Teenage suicide, don't do it. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, so that and though I do think this is better than Heathers, even as a as a dark comedy, I think it's better. The next one was um oh, at the dinner. He was going to Hmm. Matov cocktail, cocktail himself. Yeah, he was going to set himself on fire. Yeah. Uh, yes. He covers himself in gasoline because he's inspired by the 1963 photograph of the uh, protesting Vietnamese monk that set himself on fire. Uh, you may know it as the album cover for Raging Against the Machine's first album. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> he sees that, says, "Cool, I'm going to set myself on fire." He's having a real bad day. And that one. He he gets interrupted because he's asked to go to dinner. So he's he's doused in gasoline, sitting at the dinner table. Yeah. Uh, not only with his family, but with uh, Ricky's family, Ricky's yes. mom and Monique. Yep. Anyway, you got them all four. Boom. Yeah. So all four suicide attempts. Good job. <laughs> I guess. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to just 
explain where uh, Savage Steve Holland is today. Okay. What what is what did he do after Better Off Dead? Well, he he produced a, or he directed and wrote a few more movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my theory. I think there's a Savage Steve Holland cinematic universe that people don't report on. Huh. Um, because one. Uh, John Cusack doesn't play Lane in his next movie, but he is in there. It's yeah. called One Crazy Summer. Which I have seen. Is it good? Is it as good as this one? It has a lot of memorable moments because I've only seen it once. And I can remember like several scenes. So it's it's obviously in the similar style. I don't think it is as good. I would have to rewatch it. You know, in here I, I, I skipped over this part, but it is interesting that John Cusack agreed to reach, agreed to work with Steve Holland again because reportedly he hates Better Off Dead. Yeah. Um, according to Steve Holland, Cusick did not like the movie and walked out of it during a screening. Um, later confronting him, saying, "Better Off Dead was the worst thing I've ever seen. I will never trust you as a director again. Don't speak to me." <laughs> That's Hall quote. Um, and it's silly because like he's in the next movie. You know, so maybe he probably was already contracted. He, he had, maybe he was already filming the summer movie. Yeah, and then Better Off Dead came out. He's like, no more. Yeah, but then John Cusack said in an AMA in 2013 that he actually likes the movie. He just wasn't. He he was he felt that it wasn't as like he didn't perform as well as he could have done, which is how he feels about all his movies. I think he's just trying to cover his butt. Yeah. And I also think, like, there's some stuff, like, as a kid that I watched that I was like, I absolutely hate this. This makes no sense. It's dumb. And then as an adult, I'm like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, he was a kid when he did that. It was, like, what, his second movie? Because he was in Pretty... He was in Pretty in Pink. No, 16 Candles. 16 Candles, yeah. He was in Pretty in... Yeah, And and he was actually in a movie that, like, his... This is his second leading role. Mm. The, The first leading role was a movie that came out uh, the same year as this movie, actually, it's called The Sure Thing. Uh, it plays it, it, it. I was I watched the Siskel and Ebert review this movie from their show in wait, the eighties. Sure Thing or Dead Better Off Better Off Dead. Okay. And uh, Roger Ebert, Grandpa Ebert, we're gonna call him. <laughs> he uh, he said that this this movie is uh, Better Off Dead is nowhere near as good as The Sure Thing, which stars the same person. You should go watch that instead. I don't know, never seen mm. it. But I'm just saying. All right. <laughs> it's your opinion, yeah. Papa Ebert. Popper. So as I was saying, Steve Holland, Savage Steve Holland, Cinematic Universe, One Crazy Summer, and uh, his movie from 1989 called How I Got Into College, they all have a common thread. It's the mailman, played by the same person. <laughs> Tyler Negron plays the mailman in those movies. So I'm, 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 I'm convinced they're all set in the same universe with the same neighborhood because they all have the same mailman. We should do a, a movie night of the Cinematic Universe. Yeah, the... That's a the triple feature. Better Off Dead, One Crazy Summer, and uh, How I Got Into College. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know what One Crazy... Is it set in a high school? Is One Crazy Summer a high school movie? They are high school students. It might be the in-between time. Oh, okay. I can't so actively it's like, remember. So it's like you got a high school movie, you got an in-between movie, and then you got a college movie. Yeah. There you go. Good it. triple feature. That is a good triple feature. If they're, all, if they're all on Netflix, let's do that next yeah. month. <laughs> so after doing those movies... Um, Savage Steve Holland uh, stuck to mostly TV at that point. He wrote a bunch of episodes for a long string of TV shows. Um, he was the, uh, the the mind behind the Eek the Cat TV show. I never watched it, but um, I know a lot of people have. I've never heard of that. Eek the Cat. A lot of a lot of people have nostalgia for it. I've never seen it. Okay, but, I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
he directed the television a few television movies stuck okay. in the suburbs for the Disney Channel. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, with Paris Hilton, what's her name? London Tipton. <laughs> what's her name? Wendy Wu. <laughs> I don't know her name. Brenda Song. Brenda Song. <laughs> She's da- she is dating or did date. Depending on when this our, you were listening yeah, to this. Our, our good boy, uh, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Um, anyway, he directed that movie. He directed a fairly odd movie, Girl Up Timmy Turner, which uh, is a fairly odd parents movie. Uh, with Drake Bell. Yeah, I, I, you know, I assume that because Steve Holland got Dan Schneider his first, like, big role, mm-hmm. Dan Schneider's been taking care of Steve Holland for his career. Like, I letting, letting him write for Nickelodeon shows and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, so... That is Stavis Steve Holland. You may, you, you you wouldn't even know it, but he probably wrote and directed a ton he, of stuff. You've yeah, seen. a ton of stuff you've seen. You know, your Keenan and Kells, your Zoe 101s, Bizarre Vark. I've seen all those things. Phil of the Future. I loved Phil of the Ned's Future. Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. Oh, <laughs> I can't even say that. <laughs> Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. Yes. Starring Coconut Head. Coconut, oh gosh. <laughs> yep, so he helped shape your childhood. Go pay him your respect. What does my respect cost? Two dollars! <laughs> Wait, say that again? What does my respect cost? I want my two dollars! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so with that, we are going to leave you with... Uh, we're going to go to break... We will leave you with uh, the E.G. E. Daily song, One Way Love, also known as Better Off Dead from the Better Off Dead soundtrack. This is the song she plays at the school dance. Yes. The poor. So, so we'll see you on the other side of the break with my movie from 1985. We'll return after these messages. Does it ever feel like everyone's got more going than you do? Oops. Well, you might be right. You're pretty stupid to me. Thank you. But all you need is guts. We want to race. I'll take you on any day, sucker. And you'll never doubt yourself again. I haven't even been to New York City. Better off dead. That's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. Rated PG. Sneak preview Saturday, October 5th. Check newspapers. We're back. We're coming in with... uh, the Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News. Do you know why? I do know why. Because that's the theme song of my movie from 1985, which is what? Back to the Future. What? Back to the Future. Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. <laughs> yep, that's right. Released July 3rd, 1985, starring Michael J. Fox. Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover, and Tom Wilson, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written and directed by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. We have Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, 
Can you tell us a little bit about this movie, sir? I sure can. Uh, so the movie stars a young boy named Marty McFly. He's a teenager from 1985. Uh, he's living his best life. Loves skateboards, rock and roll. He's got a pretty girlfriend. Uh, he's he's a little bit of a you know he's a troublemaker at school, but mm. not too much. Um, he's got the normal 80s teenager problems at home, um, and he's best friends with an inventor named uh, Doctor Emmett Brown. <laughs> uh, and Emmett Brown is kind of like this weird bumbling scientist. Um, that creates a time machine out of a car, and Marty accidentally gets sent back in time to the year 1955, where he meets his parents as teenagers. Yes. Uh, you watched this movie for the first time because of me, right? Yes. I remember letting you borrow my DVD set. Yeah. Oh. We, we were friends. We were friends. We were friends, and we weren't dating. Um... <laughs> And I remember you watching them and telling me to put them on at the same time so we could watch them together. Yeah. Yeah. Over the like, not even over the phone. It was just like we were watching it synced up technically, and we we're just texting each yeah. other back and forth that we watched it. Um, Gosh, we were great friends. We were. <laughs> it's a, it's, no wonder we we got married eventually. Is <laughs> it? Uh, let me tell you how I discovered this movie. Okay. Because uh, I watched this movie is my favorite movie. Yeah. Uh, the secret is end we, statement. We started this movie, or we started this 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 series, this show in the year 1955 because I'm selfish and wanted not 55. Sorry, 1985. <laughs> Jumping too far. Yeah, sorry. We started in 1985 because I'm selfish and this is my favorite movie and I wanted to talk about it and yeah. I wanted to watch my favorite movie with you. Your uh, favorite wife. My favorite wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I discovered this movie. I would say I was in sixth grade. Okay. Um, I, I remember the first time I actually had seen a scene from it, one, my best friend, I was at his house and he had gotten the DVD set, right? All three movies, all three Back to the Future movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just put on this random scene. He, for some reason, thought that a particular scene in the movie would appeal to me. And, uh, let me play a clip from that. Who are you? <laughs> My name is Darth Vader. I am an extraterrestrial from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> you know, so so out of context, um, I was pretty uh, confused by that clip. Um, I assumed he thought I'd like it because I like Star Wars. <laughs> uh, yeah, I certainly at that time was not a fan of uh, of Star Trek. <laughs> Uh, so I wouldn't know Which what Vulcan is the better was. stars, yeah. anyway. And I wasn't um, a fan of Edward Van Halen, <laughs> which is the guitar in that clip. But um, he showed me that, and then I was like, cool, that exists. <laughs> um, but then, like, I would I would guess maybe a few months after that, my dad was watching Back to the Future 2 on cable. <laughs> and it was, like, right at the beginning, so I sat down and started watching it. And I had never seen the first movie, but I was able to follow the second movie pretty well. And I got into it, and I was like, this is the greatest movie. <laughs> and I watched it all the way through, you know, it, it was like a full afternoon of watching this movie on uh, uh, ABC Kids, what is, no, hey, what is that? ABC Family? ABC Family. With commercials they, and everything. With, yes. <laughs> I remember the same bumper over and over and over again, watching this movie, because I just wanted to get to the end. <laughs> so my dad saw how much I liked it, bought me the same DVD set that my friend had, and I watched those movies so freaking much i would come home from school and put them on while i did my homework i'd watch them without the commentary with the commentary behind the scenes just i watched 
every aspect of these movies. That's so crazy to yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I remember just sitting at my desk, doing my math homework, listening to Bob Gale and Rob Zemeckis talk about the making of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's why we started in this year. <laughs> yes. So let me let me talk about how this movie was made because it's it's quite a it, it it is a looking glass into the politics of Hollywood, especially in the 1980s. Oh, okay. Okay. It was written in, it was written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, uh, the two Bobs. That's what they're called. They're they're longtime friends. They're writing partners. They went to college together at USC alongside um, Steven Spielberg. Oh. We'll get to. Okay. So yeah, they, they worked together on a few movies before this. They worked on I Want to Hold Your Hand. Never seen it. They worked on Used Cars. Never seen it. Um, but it, it, they were they were a team. All right. Okay. Bob Gale came up with the idea for this movie when he was um, at home with his parents, right? And I guess maybe he was like looking through like old uh, yearbooks or talking to them about, about their high school experiences, and he discovered that like the impression of his parents. Um, that he had as a kid was completely far off of what they were in high school, right? Mm. What they really were. He thought his mom was like the kind of person who wouldn't sit in a parked car with a boy. <laughs> and when it turned out she was actually very promiscuous. So he thought, how cool would it be for me to go back in time and be in high school with my parents, right? Um, so he started developing this 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 movie with Robert Zemeckis. And like the only conceivable way for a teenager from 1985... To go be in high school with his parents from 1955 would be a science fiction time travel movie. So that's what they wrote. Sure. Um, and, and they came up with it. They wrote it in like less than a year. The script for the movie was finished in 1981. And they started shopping around. Uh, Columbia Pictures had commissioned them to write the script. Right? And when they wanted to... Sh- they showed it to Columbia. And Columbia thought it wasn't risque enough. It was too wholesome. Oh, okay. Um, because at the time, like, teen comedies, I guess in 1981, like, Revenge of the Nerds and Porky's were, like, super, mm. like, dirty and sexy. And this wasn't, wasn't things. that. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were like, okay, let's shop it around. Disney thought it was too risque because there's incest uh, hinted at. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, so this, basically, it was put on hold because no one wanted to make it. Which sucks, right? So, two things got this movie made. One, a man named Steven Spielberg, (laughs) who is friends with Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, they reached out to him, and Steven was at the the height of his power (laughs) at this time. Um, They they reached out to him, he agreed to produce it because he liked the script, they were friends, so he's (laughs) like, yeah, that's an investment to make. You attach Steven Spielberg's name to a picture, it's going to get made. Yeah. Two, Robert Zemeckis in 1984 directed a smash hit called Roman- uh, Romancing the Stone. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've seen, heard of it. I've seen bits of it. It's, it's good. It's, 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 it's a fun little movie. It's like a cool adventure romance movie. Anyway, so that was a huge hit. The studios were like, all right, we, we trust you, Zemeckis. What do you want to do? I want to make Back to the Future. Universal agrees to make it with Steven Spielberg producing. The problem is Columbia has the rights to the script. Uh, so here's where like this weird uh, like Hollywood trade gets made okay Columbia was making a movie called Big Trouble okay I've never seen it um, 
Oh, in, not in Little China? No, not Big Trouble in Little China. Just, just Big, Big Trouble. Trouble. Okay. <laughs> Big Trouble was inspired by a an old movie from the 40s called Double Indemnity. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, it was supposed to be like a, a, a callback to that movie, but it ended up resembling Double Indemnity too much. So they needed the rights to Double Indemnity, which Universal had. So Universal ah. traded the rights to Double Indemnity to Columbia for the script to Back to the Future. All right. Yeah. Barter system. There you go. Once once that trade was made, they were good to go. Off to the races. And they made this movie in like less than a year. Oh, wow. Like, Robert Zemeckis is a freaking workhorse yeah. in the 80s. I don't know if that's because he was passionate to do it and make it happen. But um, maybe that was the, you know, just the, the culture of Hollywood at the time. But he cranked out movies like that. <laughs> I don't know when they're going to stop trusting me. So let's get them done. Right. <laughs> and uh, that's how we made. All right. Um, before I get to some more like back, you know, behind the scenes stuff, let's let's run through this movie. Okay. Movie starts. Marty McFly. He's your typical run of the mill. Uh, 80s teenager. Likes to skateboard. Uh, he goes to high school. He's a slacker. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. You remind me of your father when he went here. He was a slacker, too. Can I go now, Mr. Strickland? I notice your band is on the roster for the dance auditions after school today. Why even bother, McFly? You don't have a chance. You're too much like your old man. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. And, uh, as, as I clip, um... Hinted at, he's also a musician. He plays guitar in a band called the Pinheads. Uh, he wants to, <laughs> yep, he wants to uh, be the, the the band at the the school dance. All right, we're the, uh, we're the Pinheads. But but you see, uh, the type of music he plays is just not. It's not jiving. And uh, he get, he he the the first part of this movie, Marty gets just thrown a bunch of disappointments. He can't his band won't play the dance. He's called a slacker. Uh, his dad wrecks the car uh, uh, that he planned to take uh, his girlfriend out to the mountains in. Uh, he's he's down on his luck. Yeah. Um, I was like I've heard like the one criticism of this movie is that Marty doesn't really have an arc. Okay. I would say the closest thing Marty McFly has mm-hmm. to a character arc is that at the beginning of the movie, he's very self-conscious and insecure. Uh, there's a scene where his girlfriend, Jennifer, says to him, why don't you just send in like a demo tape to one of the big uh, record labels? I'm sure you'll get picked up. And he's like, oh, no, I, what, I can't handle rejection. What <laughs> if they say no? And uh, he, he, he's not confident in himself. Yeah. So throughout, the, throughout his journey in the movie, he ends up gaining some confidence in, in learning. It's like, yeah, under stressful situations, I can do anything. Yeah. And he even teaches his teenage dad the same lesson. <laughs> um, and then and then you see his home life. Yeah, his home life. <laughs> yeah. Who's, who, who does he live with? He lives with his mother. Uh-huh. His father. Yep. His two siblings. Yeah, his, his brother and sister. Uh, let's, let's take a look at dad first. Okay. It's George McFly... He's a nerdy office guy, I guess. Yeah. I know what you're going to say, son. And you're right. <laughs> you're right. But, uh, Biff just happens to be my supervisor, and I'm afraid I'm just not very good at confrontation. 
Um, George McFly played by the excellent Crispin Glover. Yes. He's like the perfect amount of weird for George. <laughs> um, so George is like this just non-combative uh, a wiener of a dad. Yeah. And he gets bullied around by Biff Tannen. What are you looking at, butthead? <laughs> Biff is George's high school bully who grew up to be his boss. Yeah, that's not a situation we ever would have No, been. no. So that's George, and then you've got Marty's mom, Lorraine. I don't like her, Marty. Any girl who calls up a boy is just asking for trouble. Marty, there's nothing wrong with calling a boy. I think it's terrible. Girls chasing boys. When I was your age, I never chased a boy or called a boy or sat in a parked car with a boy. <laughs> She's just like, she's this alcoholic mom who, you know, holds on to her morals. Uh, <laughs> she's trying to raise these kids right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you can tell, like, G- George and Lorraine, they're not, uh, you know, they're not the happiest couple. And yeah. They're kind of in, like, a low-income house. and Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, because something that I always found really interesting, like, in that scene where I was just like, George doesn't really seem to care, but Lorraine, like, seems that she, like, loves him and is trying to give attention to <laughs> mm-hmm. him. Which is interest, an interesting dyna- dynamic when yeah. thinking about, like, what it looks like in the past. Yeah, because, like, George is, like, very just checked out yeah. in, at his home, especially in his marriage. And Lorraine is, like, trying to get his attention. Yeah, trying to engage him. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, she's clearly not happy and drinks her sorrows away. That's that's very true. <laughs> and, and Lorraine is played by uh, the lovely Leah Thompson. She is great as an old lady. <laughs> she, she's, like, an 18-year-old, but they put her in old lady makeup. And she is excellent. <laughs> Then how am I supposed to ever meet anybody? Well, it'll just happen. Like the way I met your father. That was so stupid. Grandpa hit him with the car. It was meant to be. Yep. <laughs> um, also, so that scene points out another thing I want to mention about this movie and why I love it so much. It is the perfect screenplay. Mm. A comedy is all about jokes, right? And a joke has a setup and a payoff. Right. This movie, the first third, is all setups for jokes that are paid off later. Right? Yeah, that's true. That's so, very true. On on a on a very simple like situational level, that piece of dialogue establishes that um Lorraine one is not uh she she doesn't uh condone sitting in a parked car with a boy or chasing boys, right? That's paid off later because it's the not the truth. She was doing all those things as a teenager. She sets up that um, she met George after George was hit by her grandpa's car, which is funny in itself. It's like it, it's kind of a silly situation. Yeah, how did you meet? How did your mom meet your dad? Oh, grandpa hit him with the car. <laughs> that's funny in itself, and then that's paid off later because George is hit by the car because he's doing what? Peeping. Tom. Yeah, he's being a peeping Tom. He falls out of a tree and gets hit by the car. (laughs) Yes. And then just another piece of dialogue that I thought was funny. Kids, we're going to have to eat this cake by ourselves. Your Uncle Joey didn't make parole again. (laughs) (laughs) And she just slams down a cake that has, um, welcome home, Uncle Joey. Which is funny in itself. They made a cake for an uncle that's about to be released from prison. But they have to eat it itself because he didn't make parole again. <laughs> so that's funny. And then later in the movie, um, it's it's paid off when Marty goes back in time to see baby Joey in the now, 50s. Listen, you already know Lorraine. This is 
Milton, this is Sally, that's Toby, and over there in the playpen is little baby Joey. So you're my Uncle Joey. Better get used to these bars, kid. <laughs> so, again, set up, pay off. Yeah. That's why I love Back to the Future that much, you know, this much. Anyway, so that's, that's, Marty's, that's Marty's life. That's his home life in 1985. Um, the only thing that's out of the ordinary is his best friend, Doc Brown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So Marty gets a call in the, you know, uh, that evening from, Mar- from Doc Brown, and Marty is told to meet Doc in a mall parking lot at 2 a.m., which, you know, uh, describing it here to you, Right. It sounds a little off. Oh, more than a little. <laughs> Stay in bed. This is a horror movie now. But it's 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 very wholesome. They have a yeah. very uh, uh, love, you know, a friend friendly relationship. <laughs> it's 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 very sweet. Yeah. It's just an old man, best friends with a teenager. <laughs> anyway, so Marty goes to come over to my house. Marty goes boy. to the mall at night in the parking lot so that Doc can show him his latest experiment. Uh, Doc pulls out a DeLorean. Says My this. calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. <laughs> and some serious stuff they see. <laughs> um, Doc puts his dog in the car, gets that, gets that DeLorean up to 88 miles an hour, and the car, like, zooms, uh, disappears in a trail of flame. And, and, and Marty freaks out. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Calm down, Marty, I didn't disintegrate anything. The molecular structure of both Einstein and the car are completely intact. Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, when, when the, the hell, hell are, are they? they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. Yes, the truth is, Doc Brown created a time machine from a DeLorean. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when uh, they, how do they know that the time machine works though? Okay, so a few things. Doc uh, runs through exactly how the time works. He, he sends his dog two minutes into the future as the first experiment. Mm-hmm. The maiden voyage of the DeLorean. Um, actually, uh, behind the scenes, when they first wrote the movie, the time machine was going to be a fridge. Huh. But it's like, one, it's not mobile. It's yeah. like, how, how is Marty going to How are you going to get it up to 88? Yeah, well, like, how are you going to move this thing around, right? Yeah. Like, move it from when you first jump to the to the past, how are you going to get it to Doc's, like, uh, lab, all that stuff, right? True. So they're like, let's make it a car. Now, let's make it the most 80s car we can think of, the <laughs> DeLorean, because one, it, it's it's sleek, and it's 80s as heck, <laughs> and two, it looks like a, space, is a spaceship. That's fair. Which sets up a, a great... Scene when Marty first goes to 55, he crash lands in a barn, and the farmers think it's a spaceship. Oh, what is it? What is it, Paul? Looks like an airplane. Well, when? Again, set up payoff. Um, anyway, so we know how it works because Doc explains it. This readout tells you where you're going, this one tells you where you are, this one tells you where you were. You input your destination time on this keypad. Say you want to see the sign of the Declaration of Independence. Or witness the birth of Christ? <laughs> zero, 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 or December, he, he says, witness the birth of Christ, he types in December 25th, zero, 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 <laughs> which is stupid doc. We know that <laughs> Christ wasn't really born in December. 
Anyways, yeah. Do your research. You're a scientist, man. And then Doc types in the date. A lot of date in the history of science. November 5th, 1955. Uh, November 5th, 1955, which was the day he discovered time travel. He hit his head on his sink, and it gave him the idea for something called the flux capacitor, <laughs> which is what makes time travel possible. Yes. Um, so he's showing Marty how all of this works. Um, the thing is, the car, while it does run on gasoline, the flux capacitor is powered by something with a little bit more kick. Do you know? Do you remember what it was? Petroleum jelly. No. <laughs> Close, but no. It's plutonium. Jelly? Nu- yeah. <laughs> plutonium jelly. It's, uh, so it's nuclear power. That's the only way to get this, uh, the, uh, it's the only way to get enough energy to power this flux capacitor. Right. right. So Doc. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Doc needs plutonium, Right. So, how does he get it? He ripped off Libyan nationalists. Terrorists. That's not the way to go, Doc. Yeah, Doc tricked Libyans into giving him plutonium for a bomb he created. But it wasn't actually a bomb. It was a the casing of a bomb with pinball parts in it. <laughs> uh, and, and so, he's like, yeah, I just ripped him off. It's fine. <laughs> but it's not fine. No. Oh, my God. They found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Run for it, Marty! Who? Who? Who do you think? The Libyans! So the Libyans show up out of nowhere in the small parking lot in their uh, Volkswagen bus. <laughs> and they start shooting at Marty and Doc. They kill Doc. Yeah. At the beginning of the movie. Um, That's how you know the stakes matter. Yeah. And Marty freaks out, jumps in the DeLorean, and takes off. And uh, in the midst of his chase with the Libyans, he ends up going 88 miles an hour and jumping to November 5th, 1955. Um, and, and that's how you get the premise of the movie. He has to go home. He has to go back to the future. <laughs> uh, so, Marty uh, stumbles into Hill Valley, California in 1955. Play some little music here. Set the mood. The Simpsons. <laughs> so yeah, he stumbles into town and... It's 55, and he's dressed in his 80s getup, his uh, his poofy uh, vest. It looks like a life preserver, <laughs> and everyone calls it out. Um, he doesn't know what to do. No, nope. he's literally lost in time. Yep. So he, he just thinks to himself, uh, I'll just stumble into this diner <laughs> <laughs> and ask to see, like, to use their phone. Um, and he, he finds a phone book, he finds out where, uh, Doc lives in the phone book and is like, I need to get to Doc. I need to get out of here. At least he's smart. Right. Look here, girls and gals and guys. Girls, gals, and guys listening to this. If you ever find yourself in a different time. Look at the newspaper. Look at the newspaper. Go find a phone book. Go find a phone book. <laughs> you know where 1640 Riverside... Are you going to order something, kid? Uh, yeah. Give me, give me a tab. Tab. I can't give you a tab unless you order something. All right, give me a Pepsi free. You want a Pepsi, pal? You're going <laughs> to pay for it. Look, just give me something without any sugar in it, okay? Something without any sugar. Give him some coffee. Um, <laughs> I, I, one, that's a funny joke. Two, that's a joke that makes, like, no sense to someone from 1955. And no one from, like, you know, 2020, where we are. <laughs> uh, because... A tab soda is, like, a soda that only existed for a short amount of time in the 80s. Yeah. You know, and, like, I guess kids from the 80s have nostalgia for tab. 
but it's like you can't go to the store and buy a tab today. No. So like that's a joke that doesn't make sense anymore unless you're told that's an 80 soda. Yeah. Same with Pepsi free. It's a Coke Zero or you know a Pepsi Zero or whatever. But yeah, I, I think that's funny. No, it is funny. <laughs> And that's, like, a great little play on words. Like, I think it's it, it sets up so much, like, in a very simple way, like, linguistically how we, we change, right? Mm-hmm. Like, tab is the name of a soda, but tab is something that you, like, collect a debt on when you're at a place that gives you food or whatever. Right. So just, it's it's fun just to be able to, like, ah, oh, the slang of the yeah. 50s and how, yeah. Imagine if it was, like, a kid from the 90s and Marty goes back, oh, give me a search. <laughs> <laughs> give me a tang. <laughs> I want some Fanta. You want a Fanta, kid? You're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> um, so, not only does he have a you know a, an interaction with the, this clerk here, who else does he run into at the at the diner? Uh, George. He runs into his dad, George McFly. Um, and Marty freaks out. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. Um, George leaves and Marty just instinctually says, I got to chase after my dad. Yeah. Don't know why. what else to do. I guess. He, he had a plan. And he quickly abandoned that plan he's because a let's dumb be teenager. let's be honest though if you're in a situation and you're freaked out you're you're gonna be like mom dad I feel like it's a normal reaction so yeah he runs down George and George is doing what being a creep yeah he's peeping Tom this is the day George met Lorraine yeah he's peeping Tom he's supposed to fall out of the tree get hit by a car and go and uh, meet his future wife yes his future wife his future wife. Uh, the problem is that uh, Marty sees George fall into the street and almost get hit by a car. So Marty jumps into action and pushes George out of the way. And he himself gets hit by a car and knocked out. It's the butterfly effect. Mom? Is that you? You're there now. Just relax. You've been asleep for almost nine hours now. nightmare. Dreamed that I went back in time. It was terrible. Well, safe and sound now, back in good old 1955. 1955? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, Marty wakes up. He is now in the house of his mother, Lorraine, at, at 18. Yes. And, uh, she, how would you describe her, uh, A her behavior? <laughs> she is smitten with marty oh man yeah i guess her type is those who got hit by hit by cars yeah, it's the is it stockholm no what is it the the what misery is <laughs> no what, what is that it's, it's a it's an effect heroes i don't know uh, uh f- 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 nightingale effect oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. nightingale effect where the uh the nurse Thank falls in love with her mm-hmm. with her patients i think doc brings that up in the movie uh, yeah, it does. Okay, okay. Anyway, she, that, that's her type, you know. Yeah. Uh, bro- men, men in need. Men <laughs> She's in a caregiver, need. I guess. Eh. Um, but she she immediately starts just just she's thirsty for Marty. So much thirst. She lives in the desert. <laughs> um, she goes. She doesn't call him Marty. She calls him Calvin Klein, because yeah. it's written all over his underwear. <laughs> yeah. How how'd she get into? How did she get? How? Yeah. How Rodney? She takes his pants off. And she sets it on her hope chest. So, yeah. um, Marty um, meets Lorraine. Meets the family. Is is there for dinner. (laughs) 
and, 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 and Lorraine will not stop. No. She, like, it's super uncomfortable. Yeah, she like grabs his leg under the table and Marty's like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Like, um, you should stay the night, Marty. Stay in my room. I don't even know if you had that question. I don't. I don't. Like, you should stay in my room. No, gotta go. My, you yep, gotta yep. go. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I do enjoy his uh, interactions with her, her, her mom and dad. So his, his grandpa and grandma. Yeah. Do you, do you know where Riverside Drive is? It's uh, the other end of town, a block past Maple, east end of town. You know, block past Maple, that's, uh, that's John F. Kennedy Drive. Who the hell is John F. Kennedy? <laughs> so a uh, thing that you'll, you will we'll discover as we go through this, you know, as we, as we do this show, is that we'll point out quotes from movies, because these are the movies we've seen the most. Yeah. Uh, I'll point out a, cl- a, a, a piece of dialogue that um, I quote to myself almost on a weekly basis. <laughs> Whenever I hear someone say the name John F. Kennedy, I think to myself, who the hell is John F. Kennedy? <laughs> <laughs> How often do people say John F. I Kennedy? I don't know. Just, just uh, regularly. <laughs> Enough that you think it. Yep. Mm. And uh, yeah, so w- whenever we reach one of those points, I'll, I'll point it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Marty... Uh, st- Runs out of his mom's Please. house. Yep, runs to Doc Brown's house because uh, he can't handle his uh, his infatuated mother. Yeah, a strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. His parents are probably idiots too. Lorraine, you ever have a kid who acts that way? I'll disown you. Um, I was gonna say, if you ever need to teach kids about dramatic irony, that's the scene to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the piece of dialogue because <laughs> the audience knows that Lorraine did raise that boy. <laughs> <laughs> to be an idiot. Yep. So anyway, D- uh, Marty quickly makes his way to Doc Brown's house, who lives in a, a glorious mansion. Um, he's, he is very rich, and we learn that by 1985 he has spent his fortune on crappy inventions. Mm. So yeah, he meets he meets Doc, and how would you describe Doc Brown in the in the 50s? Eccentric. Eccentric is, is true. Um, great sense of style. Doc... Brings Marty in because he thinks Marty is like a like a salesman, salesman. or something, um, and Marty has to convince him that no, I came back in time in a time machine that you invented, and he's like, uh, "Well, you got to prove it to me." I'm telling the truth, Doc. You got to believe me. Then tell me, future boy, huh, who's president of the United States in 1985? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, the actor. <laughs> Then who's vice president? Jerry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's the like the joke that um, there's only one reason to remake this movie. Okay, I I, I would say they should never remake Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. It would be a blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob Gale and Rob Zemeckis, I believe they have um, they own the rights to the movie, and in their like contract or in writing, no one can remake the movie until they're dead. <laughs> Which I'm like, that's I'm so down with. That's yeah. But anyway, I was going to say, the only reason to remake the movie is for this joke retold today. It's like, if Marty is a kid from 2020 and goes back to 1990, for example, or something. Mm-hmm. All right, future boy, who's the president of the United States in 2020? Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump? The hotel man? <laughs> and who's the vice president? Rockefeller? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it writes itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, they should never remake it. No. Okay, so... Meets Doc, and now we have the conflict of the movie. Marty needs to, name of the movie, get back to the future. <laughs> he has one problem, though. He can't just wait it out, right? 
One, well, okay, a few things he needs to get done. One, the DeLorean needs nuclear power to run. It's all out of jelly. It's out, yeah. No more jelly. So they, like, Doc says, the only amount of, the only thing with that much energy as plutonium is a a bolt of lightning, mm-hmm. right? And luckily, Marty's from the future. He knows where lightning's going to strike. It's going to strike the clock tower in the center of town on Saturday night. Right. So if they can just rig it up to strike the clock tower, run to the DeLorean, get it running, they can get, get Marty him home. back to the future. But Marty can't just sit it out until Saturday night. Mm-mm. Because he screwed up the meeting between his mom and his dad, they have not met. Therefore, Marty is slowly being erased from history. Yes. Um, so Marty has to play matchmaker between his mom and his dad before he is erased completely. Yep. And one more problem on top of that. This is more serious than I thought. Apparently your mother is amorously infatuated with you instead of your father. Whoa, wait, wait a minute, Doc. Are you trying to tell me that my mother has got the hots for me? Precisely. Whoa, this is heavy. <laughs> it is indeed heavy. <laughs> that's the that's the conflict of the movie. Marty has to get his mom and his dad back together before Saturday. Like, essentially, they're going to get him to go to the dance. Yeah. He's trying to get his dad to take his mom to the dance so that they can kiss and fall in love and Marty can be born. <laughs> yes. A few, a few hiccups on that. His dad's a wiener. He's an Oscar Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Lane Mayer. <laughs> he can't convince his dad to get enough courage yeah. to to ask his mom out, and also his mom loves Marty. Yeah, um, still real weird. Yep. <laughs> and then you've got uh, Biff Tannen, the bully. What are you looking at, butthead? Well, he's well, Biff. Marty's looking at ways to fix his parents' relationship. Yep. Um, Biff is is a big problem as well. Yep. Yeah, you know it's it, Biff also has his eyes on mm-hmm. Lorraine. Yep. So essentially, the 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 whole conflict kind of culminates in the dance, right? Um, is this Tommy Pickles? No, it's uh, Marvin Berry and uh, the the blues band, I guess. Uh. I mean. um, Marty agrees to take Lorraine to the dance because Lorraine kind of strong arms him into it. Yeah. So George asks, "Well, how am I supposed to ask Lorraine to the dance if you're going to take her?" So they hash out a plan. Where Marty is going to take it, quote, take advantage of Lorraine in the car, and George is going to play the big hero and save her. Right. Marty rolls up. He's parked with Lorraine, and uh, he doesn't feel comfortable about it at all. No. You mind if we park for a while? That's a great idea. I'd love to park. Huh. Marty, I'm almost 18 years old. It's not like I've never parked before. <laughs> That's not what a lady does, Lorraine. No, she's 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 into it. Yeah, she jumps on him. Yeah, she does. This is all wrong. When they kiss, and it's I, I uncomfortable. Don't know what it is. But when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. <laughs> uh, Bob Gale said that was the scene where he finally uh, reconciled the the Oedipal uh, ramifications of the movie because mm-hmm. he was like, "Yeah, this is really weird." Of, uh, you know, this whole mom into the the son thing. Yeah. Um, that line, apparently, he wrote it. And he was like, okay, I think we're good. 
I don't really like that line because I don't yeah. get it, but I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah, I was like, what would you have, what line, what would have been better there? I, 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 I don't know. Like kissing myself, like kissing a board, like just wrong. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It, it did its job. Anyway, right there, Marty's like sweating it out in this car and he gets pulled out and he thinks, oh God, thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you, George. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, George has saved the day. No, it's not George, it's Biff. No, Biff. <laughs> that <the> butthead. <laughs> uh, Biff beats Marty up, get his, gets his thugs to drag Marty away and then jumps into the car with Lorraine. Yep. And uh, is, is a terrible human being. Yep. But luckily, George McFly is there to save the day. Because George McFly is a fox. He, he 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 musters the courage to jump in there and slave, save Lorraine against all odds. Knocks yeah. out Biff in one punch. Yeah, and 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 so you, Marty runs back and he sees Lorraine and and George and they their their eyes meet and there's love in the air and Marty thinks I'm good, I've done it, but that's not that's not how the climax of this movie goes. It, it, and and I, I really enjoy like the the dramatic progression of this movie it's like he solves one problem and another problem pops up yeah so the next problem after you know lorraine and, and george they, they've they've met at the dance they're good they're gonna dance together next problem is the band can't play because they had to use a screwdriver to get marty out of a trunk of a car yeah and they, they cut the guitarist's hand he yeah the, play. The, gar- the guitarist's hand can't play because he had to help marty yeah. so now marty has to jump in and play guitar so he hey does. Guys, you gotta get back in there and finish the dance. Hey man, look at Marvin's hand. He can't play with his hand like that, and we can't play without him. Yeah, well look, Marvin. Marvin, you gotta play. See, that's where they kiss for the first time on the dance floor. And if there's no music, they can't dance. If they can't dance, they can't kiss. If they can't kiss, they can't fall in love, and I'm history. Hey man, the dance is over. Unless uh, you know somebody else that can play the guitar. In fact, he does. <laughs> it's Marty. <laughs> so yeah, Marty hops in. He decides he's gonna play a. Uh, out there. He's gonna play Earth Angel uh, while his parents dance, and this is the this is the moment. It's very dramatic because you don't know if George is gonna follow through with it. Some other he's uh, gonna be a wiener. Yeah, some other like nerd uh, cut cuts in and uh, starts dancing with Lorraine, and, and George is like debating whether to just give up on it or actually go in there and and take Lorraine back. He does. They kiss. It's very. Uh, you know, it, it, the music sweeps. Marty's done it. He's happy. He's alive. Yep. He exists. He exists again. And then the the next... Well, that's not really a problem. This is this is sort of like the the victory lap mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, they they want to play a new song. Yeah. So Marty's, Marty, having overcome adversity, overcome his insecurity, now gets to play on stage at a school dance like he wanted to do at the beginning of the movie. Payoff. Yeah. All right, this is, uh, this is an oldie, but, uh, well, it's an oldie where I come from. All right, guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? So he ends up playing uh, the Chuck Berry song, Johnny Be Good, which is like the world's first, uh, um, rock and roll song. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about this movie. Marty goes back to 1955. He, he invents rock and roll. <laughs> he invents skateboarding. Yeah. Um, he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's a true renaissance man. <laughs> he's given lots of things. Uh. Um, this, this, of course, gives us the, the classic moment where Marvin, 
Marvin Berry, who's playing the school dance. Calls his cousin Chuck. <laughs> yep. Chuck! Chuck! It's Marvin! Your cousin, Marvin Berry! You know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this! It's that rock and roll. Um, I was reading that apparently this scene wasn't... They were going to cut it from the movie. Hmm. Because uh, it really doesn't, like, progress the plot at all. Yeah. Like I said, it's sort of like a victory lap. You know, yeah. it's Marty getting to celebrate, like, not only saving his parents' relationship, saving his own life, and then, uh, you know, learning to, I guess, you know, he, he, he learns that he can do anything mm-hmm. if he believes in himself, because he's done it. But I guess test audiences, they, they saw, like, they, they loved it. They loved this scene. So they're huh. like, we can't cut it. It works too well. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, uh, Marty being from the 80s, he's getting a little too cocky, a little too excited, and he's parts playing guitar like Eddie Van Halen. The whole, the whole room is just looking at him like, "What was that?" <laughs> I do not like. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But your kids are gonna love it. So that that's it's a great scene. Yeah. So from there, he rushes. He looks at the time, and much like Cinderella, realizes that it is nearly midnight. Yep. Uh, and uh, he's got places to be. Lightning's gonna strike, so he's gonna get out of there. So yes, that that's the net. He's he solved. A, a series of problems. And the next problem is he's got to get in the car before the time, you know, before the lightning strikes, uh, and, and, and so he can go home. Right? right? He he meets up with Doc. They have a farewell. Um, he's trying he's trying to help Doc not get shot, but Doc is like not having it because he doesn't want to. Uh, a man should not know too much about his own future. Right. So he rips up Marty's note explaining that he's going to get shot by Libyans. <laughs> um, that, that that's dramatic, but he doesn't have enough time. He's got to get that car, and he's got to set it up, and he's got to go back to the future. Um, a few things happen: uh, the cord running from the clock tower, the lightning's going to strike, to where it's over the road where it's going to hit the car uh, gets unplugged. So mm-hmm. Marty or uh, Doc Brown has to fix that. Right. Ma- Marty's in the car, and right when it's about time to start accelerating, the car doesn't start. Right. Very, it's very dramatic. They get those things fixed. Marty runs through very, you know, the most triumphant scene in the movie. Right as the lightning strikes, Doc hooks the cables. Marty flies through, gets sent back into the future. Um, but he's not done yet. Now he needs to run from town square to the mall mm-hmm. so that he can save Doc from getting shot by the Libyans. Yes. Fortunately, he gets there and Doc has had a change of heart and he's wearing a bulletproof vest. History's been changed. And Doc is alive. We've gotten back to the future, and we saved, and nobody died. Nobody died. In fact, Marty's life is now better than ever. Yeah. Uh, Marty heads back home. He wakes up. Um, his family, uh, his his brother and sister have better jobs. Mm-hmm. His mom and dad have a better relationship. Yeah. Uh, they're they're super confident. Mm-hmm. They love each other. Um, he's got his own truck. He's got a big old truck, and uh, his girlfriend still loves him. Yeah. So Martin, you know, it, it's the perfect fairy tale ending for Marty McFly. You know that you think that's where the the, the movie's gonna end. It's gonna, you know, uh, Doc has traveled the, through time to the future. Um, Marty's living large in 1985, uh, but in as we've seen, true 80s comedy fashion, it needs to end in an off the wall way. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to jump back to Better Off Dead. So yeah. like the last shot of Better Off Dead is the shot of Lane's house um, at the end of the movie, and it's his parents like. 
looking, just looking at their house saying, oh, it's a lovely night. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, Lane's little brother's rocket jumps out of the roof and flies to space. So yeah. it's like this weird off-the-wall, like, completely unrealistic moment in the movie. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's played for laughs. Yeah. It's like no one expects a sequel to Better Off Dead to be made where uh, Lane's brother explores the, the reaches of space. <laughs> yeah. Um, Back to the Future ends in a very similar situation. You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. No, no, no. I just got here, okay? Jennifer's here. We're going to take the new truck for a spin. Well, bring it along. This concerns her, too. Wait a minute, Doc. Well, what are you talking about? What happens to us in the future? We're going to become assholes or something? No, 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 Marty. Both you and Jennifer turn out fine. It's your kids, Marty. Something has got to be done about your kids. And so they, they, they hop in the DeLorean and they fly off to more adventures where Marty and Jennifer are going to f- help fix their kids in the future. Yeah. Um, Bob Gale and Rob Zemeckis, when they wrote that scene, they did not intend to make a sequel. It was supposed to just be one final gag at the end of the movie. Just like with Better Off Dead, one final gag at the end of the movie is a spaceship rocketing into space. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, wouldn't you know it, people loved this movie <laughs> and they wanted it to be... They, they wanted to see more of them. Yeah. So they, they ran with it. They took this scene and said, okay, we're going to make some sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading that, like, the one thing, if they knew they were going to make a sequel when they wrote this movie, they would have one, made one change to this final scene. Do you know what it is? They would not have had Jennifer there. Right. They said, why did we write the girl into the movie? Because, <laughs> they like, Jennifer in the next movie, she spends it, like, most of the time asleep. Yeah. Because <laughs> they had nothing to do with her. Yeah. Anyway. Well, uh, you know, I, I, we won't get too much into that because maybe, perhaps, we'll talk about the Back to the Future sequels in a later episode. But per another Spoil- Spoilers. <laughs> um, but let me uh, kind of wrap up this segment with a few facts about um, it, its accolades. Okay, Back to the Future spent 11 weeks at number one. Oh, wow. It was nominated for several Oscars, including Best Original Screenplay, which is much deserved. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, if this movie was not nominated for Best Screenplay, I would have been very upset. It's the <laughs> perfect screenplay. Um, uh, the Power of Love by Huey Lewis in the News was nominated for Best yes. Original Song. And the movie was also nominated for Best Sound Mixing. And it won for Best Sound Effects. Nice. Yeah. You you tell me what the difference between sound mixing and sound effects are, because I don't know. <laughs> Fully uh, work. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, it was nominated for numerous BAFTAs including Best Film, Original Screenplay, Visual Effects, Production Design, and Editing. Um, It was nominated for Best Musical or Comedy at the Golden Globes, Best Original Song, Best Actor, Best Screenplay. All well-deserved, I think. Yeah. Better Off Dead didn't win any awards. Okay, we don't have to start fighting, though. (laughs) (laughs) And let's talk legacy of Back to the Future. I'm not going to name everything, because again, we might have a chance to talk about Back to the Future again in a later episode. Spoilers. (laughs) Uh, Back to the Future spawned a multimedia dynasty spanning video games, pinball, comic books, a Saturday morning cartoon, a theme park ride, and two feature f- feature-length sequels. This is brand new, and I didn't know if you knew about this. A musical theater production premiered in London's West End based on the movie. What? In March 2020, this year. It was put on hold due to the coronavirus. Yeah, I was like, could anyone yeah. see that? I, uh... Hmm. I googled it yesterday while you were sitting here. You didn't notice. <laughs> I watched um, one of the musical numbers. Was um, it excellent? It, it, it's something. <laughs> I'm going to see if you can guess this. 
the one music scene I saw was led by a tertiary character. Okay. Like a certain tertiary character had his own song. Was it Goldie? Yes! You got it! <laughs> Mayor Goldie Wilson gets his own song in the movie In the Diner, like singing about standing up for yourself. Good job, yeah, Goldie. Yeah, and like, you know, Marty and, and George McFly dance around. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if it ever comes back. Wait, is that not considered a remake? I, I w- that's different enough where I'm down. Okay. If, if, if they ever get it back on track after the Rona. We'll fly out to London. No, no. Spend a bunch of money. No, no. We'll, we'll hope that it comes to, to LA or something. <laughs> um, back to the Future was also the basis for a certain animated television program called Rick and Morty. Uh, yeah. Get it? Doc and Marty? Rick and Morty? Boo. So, Justin Roiland, the creator of Rick and Morty, uh, before working on that show... He produced a bunch of like random shorts for the internet, right? Mm-hmm. One of those shorts was an animated short called Doc and Marty. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my kite's in the tree, Doc. I can't. I hate this stupid tree. I'm so sad. Don't be sad, Marty. We'll go back in time and we'll make sure that your kite doesn't get stuck in the tree. All right, Doc. That sounds great. I'm gonna go get my kites. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. <laughs> it, it, like, legit, Rick and Morty <laughs> is just that short with, you know, copyright, non-copyright infringible characters. Yeah. Um, so it's like, the Marty there is just Morty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Doc. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I just wanted to play that because I thought it was funny. That's pretty Um And I also want to mention Back to the Future still has a huge fan following with a community regular, with the community regularly hosting uh, conventions and events. Um, I definitely recommend the 2015 documentary Back in Time, which like examines the uh, cultural impact and the legacy of Back to the Future and its fans, like the big fandom around Back oh, to the Future. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Like people regularly go to shows with their Back to the Future replicas, their their DeLorean replicas, mm-hmm. like their time machines. They actually bring them out there. Uh, we saw a legit Back to the Future DeLorean on the road yeah, when we yeah. were driving somewhere like a few months ago or last year or whatever. Um, it had the, it actually had like the Mr. Fusion on the back yeah. and the big things. It was a full re- replica of the Dorian. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. We saw it in the We wild. would have uh, followed it closely except it was on the other side of the freeway. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, um, one of the gimmicks of our, of our show here is we want to explore how these movies and, and music and TV later on, how they most invaded our lives. And yes, watching these movies a bunch is certainly a, a evidence of invasion. But with certain movies, like Back to the Future, for me, it kind of defines, like, fandom for me. Right. You know? Like, I, I am well uh, uh, embedded in the <laughs> fandom of Back to the Future. And so um, I, I have a little bit of an adventure to share about um, involving Back to the Future. So I was sitting in the living room with a friend of mine, and I just popped an idea popped in my head and i said we need to go and visit all of the filming locations for back to the future and he he was like i'm down let's do it <laughs> um and, and it comes from at the beginning of the movie marty mcfly like hops on his skateboard grabs onto the back of a truck and is like you know driven to school you know on the back of it um, sketching yeah he, he's sketching <laughs> um and he passes by like this burger king right and it's just like on this busy city street and i see this burger king in the fore, you know, the foreground, and I'm like, does that Burger King still exist, and can I eat there? <laughs> and the answer is yes, it does exist, and yes, I have eaten there. <laughs> um, so, 
like it, it was just a fun day trip to Los Angeles, um, visiting all of these random places that they filmed uh, the movie at. You know, yeah. they still exist, and like the the town square of Hill Valley, where the movie is set. Um, it was mostly shot on the Universal backlot. Like you can go on that Universal backlot tour and, and, see, it, and yeah. see like what is you know it, what still exists of the town square, right? And uh, and stuff like that. And, like I've I've done that as a kid, but. Um, there were a bunch of other locations just scattered around LA, right? Like, um, as far back as like deep San Fernando Valley, like oh. four hours from where we live. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize you did all that tribing. Yes. Yes. Oh, I did not join him on this adventure. No, no. It's just me and a friend. We had a, we had a bro, bro date, <laughs> man date. Boys day. Yeah. Um, we, uh, you know, just like some interesting places to, that, uh, we, we saw, so all of the 50s homes, like that na- that street where uh, George, Lorraine, Biff, where they all live, those are all on one street in LA, just a single street, all the houses, uh, like, make, uh, uh, Biff lives right next door to Lorraine. <laughs> um, and it was funny, like, we, we saw evidence of, because we weren't the only people out there to see Back to the Future houses that day, mind you. There was another group of people on that street who were also looking at the Back to the Future house taking pictures. <laughs> um, we saw, like, people had, like, etched in the cement, like, in the sidewalk, Back to the Future quotes. Oh, gosh. Um, we saw, so, in Back to the Future 2, there's a scene where Marty gets trapped in Biff's garage, and Biff has a garage in his backyard, mm-hmm. right? One of those, like, Yeah, separate... like a shed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Apparently, people venture behind this house to see this garage because there was a line of trash cans um, blocking the driveway. That's not okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's some crazy people out there. The mall where Marty and the Doc first uh, start up the DeLorean, that still exists. And interestingly, in 2015, when it was like Back to the Future Day, the day Mm -hmm. that Marty went to the future, um, I guess Universal Studios donated the Lone Pine Mall sign from the movie, the actual prop to the mall (laughs) so that fans could come and take pictures with it. So they set it up right where it used to be in 1985. Mm -hmm. People could take pictures of it. And then when they had it removed from that site, they moved it into the mall. Hmm. And it's like, it's a little cubby. Um, So we went in there, took some pictures. It's pretty cool. Um, What else? Any other interesting locations that you would want to know about? (laughs) Did you lie on the ground like uh, our boy... George did. Oh, in the street? Yes. Uh, my, my buddy George did. <laughs> um, he fell from a tree. Yeah, yeah. We, we did not climb that tree. Mm. Uh, but we did see it. I wonder if the other party climbed the tree. I don't know. I don't didn't, climb I trees. didn't see him, yeah. Um, uh, oh, the, the Back to the Future, like Marty's house. Mm-hmm. That's deep. Like way down. Like, like, like north of LA. Like a, a ways out. Oh, I thought they were next. Oh, wait, the fifties house. Yeah, the fifties houses were on one street. Um, Marty's eighty-five house was like, you know, Deep. way, 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 way up there. Um, and we were looking at like uh, someone had did an interview with the lady who owned that house, and apparently mm-hmm. she still owns the, the same lady that lived there in nineteen eighty-five that left that let Robert Zemeckis use the house still lives there, and she says it was one of the biggest mistakes of her life. Oh, because because fans to- come and steal things off her porch. Oh. She says she can never put, um, like, decorations up for holidays because people would just take them. And it's like, th- those aren't Marty McFly's things. Yeah, you're just stealing so from some rude. lady. Yeah. Don't do that. If you're don't a Back to the Future fan, Back to the Future fan, don't do that. If you're a fan of anything and you know where they're being shot, just don't. Just don't. 
Yeah, be be considerate. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, and uh, Doc's big mansion is mm-hmm. still there. It's like a. It's it's a a uh, like a tourist attraction in its own right. Apparently, <laughs> like a famous architect built this fancy house. Um, and we had gone in there. They have a gift shop. We went in the gift shop hoping to see Back to the Future stuff. There was none. None. No, it was all architecture memorabilia. Like, we are more than just Back to the Future. Yeah. Uh, so that's Back to the Future. Uh, recommend from you? Yeah. With more enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also recommend it. it. This is my favorite movie. I think it is one of the closest things to a perfect film you can get. It's funny. It's dramatic. It's um, it's just, it's just it's just wonderful. <laughs> it's very much you encapsulated yeah. in film form. Yes. So we got to settle the score. Who won 1985 movies? Obviously, my movie had the word better in it, and therefore it was no, better. no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. My movie is objectively better um, on every level. Um, I'm not saying your movie's bad. I understand, but you're saying that it is not as better it's not <laughs> it is you're wrong we're gonna have to agree to disagree because she will not back down on this one. i will not uh you tell us what movie you think is better who won the the movies in 1985 on social media well this has been a lot of fun um obviously i won <laughs> movies no yes uh but uh let's talk about something that was Something that's actually pretty interesting, obviously, to go and um, find out what movies are our top. We have to go through a massive list of movies that came out. Yeah. Um, so there are other things, and we'll we'll do this from time to time, um, like runners up. Yeah, like movie, our, movies that didn't quite make the cut. That we watched just one time too little. So hit, hit me with it. What's your what's your runner up? So my runner up, if we had not watched uh, Better Off Dead, we would have watched Teen Wolf, which I've never seen. Ah, it's fun. Yeah, it would have been interesting. We would have had a, a double uh, uh, a double Mi- Marty. Yeah, Mi- Michael Michael J. Fox <laughs> night. Yeah, it's a. Oh yeah, I'm kind of glad we didn't. And if John Cusack had been cast as Marty McFly, we would have had a double double. Oh double Cusack. yeah, because he was a, a runner up for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Teen Wolf is a lot of fun. If you haven't seen it, like, uh, I'm definitely not talking about the MTV TV version of, um, it that came in, like, 2000. I don't even know what year it came out. I don't watch the show. Sexy Teen I Wolf. definitely read the fan fiction, though. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, Teen Wolf is a, is a good show. Maybe I'll make you watch it one day. Maybe we'll go back through this and watch runner-ups. Um, do you know what your runner-ups were? I don't remember. So, if we weren't watching Back to the Future, we would have watched... Breakfast Club. Okay, I, I've seen that I think twice. Yeah. So, so it was like Back to the Future was clear clearing away my winner. Yes. Uh, Breakfast Club. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's the best John Hughes movie. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, A View to a Kill. Oh, oh, that's that's a James Bond movie. Uh, oh yeah. It's it it is widely considered one of the worst James Bond movies because uh, Roger Moore, who played James Bond, is like in his fifties or sixties, <laughs> and the Bond girl at the time is like. Old enough to be his daughter. Ugh. Yeah. It's it's just like, he was past his prime. They would replace him with a new Bond years, like a few years later. Mm. But it, it's it's like a very, it's peak 80s. <laughs> Duran Duran did the theme song. Um, it, it's like the 80s James Bond movie. It's it, it's I don't recommend it unless you're a James Bond fan, but it's fun. And I'm not. So I'm glad. It's I'm fun. glad that we didn't really do Bond. I don't watch Bond movies. It's just not my shtick. Sh- 
shtick. It's not my shtick. Uh, and then the, <laughs> you said it like Sean Connery. It's not my shtick. It's not my shtick. Um, and then the last that was a runner-up for you was Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just like Back to the Future, uh, my dad watched Pee-wee on cable all the time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I love I love me some Pee-wee. Uh, so, yeah, those are our runners-up. I, I feel like if we had gone with my runner-up versus any of those other of your runner I also would have won that year. Just, you know, like I won 85. Probably not. <laughs> Um, I guess and tell us what you think of these movies. Uh, did you discover them for the first time? Did you like them? You tell us. Uh, thank you for listening to uh, Media, Made. Media Made, episode one. I hope you enjoyed it. Our next episode, we're going to be covering the uh, music of 1985. Yeah. Um, you have any spoilers? You have any? Uh... Um, no. <laughs> okay. I'll hum a chord. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to... I, I think what you'll learn... Especially with music, is the the polar opposites of this relationship that you're listening to right now. Yeah, you have. Uh, if you think movies are, it's different. like yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Back, Back to the Future and Better Off Dead uh, have many similarities. You know, they're definitely not the same movie. There's a lot in common. Uh, music is not gonna be the case. Nope. You're gonna see two very Large different sides. Disparity. Yeah, two very different sides of the music industry in 1985. So look forward to that. Um, we're gonna le- we're gonna uh, we're gonna leave with. Uh, Huey Lewis is in the, uh, Huey Lewis and the News. Their song "Back in Time" played over the credits of Back to the Future. Um, any parting words? Stay safe. Keep petroleum jelly in your purse, and always pet a dog if you see it. And don't and 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 give us your two dollars. <laughs> hey Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to eighty-eight. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. <laughs>